Good morning, guys. Uh, I'm going to read to you just a couple verses from the book of Colossians. It's uh, Colossians 1, verses 19 and 20. Verse 19 says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Thanks, Christian. Isaiah chapter 9, if you would, and thank you to uh, Christian and to Rob. Um, what a great team. What a great leadership team. I'm not going to talk anymore about because I'm just going to cry. So I'm so thankful for the people that God has um, just placed me with for accountability and to lead alongside of. Um, it's an honor to be a part of, of the leadership team here. So by way of the first advent... As we read that verse, as Christian read that verse over us, and we saw it on the screen in Colossians chapter 1, by way of the first advent, Jesus reconciled us to the Father by sacrificing himself. He came into this world as a child who was laid in a manger. We have that picture, I think, as Christians, just kind of as a part of our, our mindset. I don't know how we imagine it individually, but, but I just picture destitute. I picture brokenness, I picture a world that is shattered, and I picture a world that will be much more shattered in the very near future after Jesus was born into it, because we know that he wasn't born into a time of prosperity. He was born into a time of bondage for his people. It was a time where the Romans were oppressing, and, and I think oftentimes we forget that right after Jesus was born, Joseph and Mary had to take Jesus and flee. They had to get out of the nation. They had to go to Egypt because all of the young boys in that region under the age of two were about to be slaughtered by Herod in his rage and in his insanity. Jesus made peace through his sacrifice. Jesus made peace with us, between us and the Father through his sacrifice, and it wasn't by taking the easy road. It wasn't by doing things the easy way. Our reconciliation, which means the restored friendly relations with God, our reconciliation was accomplished through Christ, and we await now, because of his finished work on the cross, because of his sacrifice, we await redemption, which is the final deliverance from sin. And as we think about redemption, as we think about Advent, and we think about what God has told us in his word, in Luke chapter twenty. 1 verse 28 Jesus is speaking of his second coming and he says this but when these things begin to take place as he talks about things that are coming in the future as he talks about trials and tribulations that will come towards the end he says but when these things begin to take place stand up lift your heads up because your redemption is near church our redemption is near isn't that awesome it's not far our redemption is near. Sometimes we start to count the moments. Sometimes we get stuck looking at what's going on in our lives and we forget to look up and remember that our redemption is close, that it's getting closer, that we're drawing closer every moment. Right now, as the seconds tick by, as I speak and you're like, they're not going fast enough. As, it, you know, it, as the, the seconds tick by, you realize that we are one second closer right now to redemption. Right now, and again, and again, and again, and again. It just keeps going. Our excitement should be building. We get to see Jesus soon. 
We get to meet the King of Kings face to face for now we see through a mirror dimly, but we're going to see him face to face. Isn't that awesome? That's the beauty of Advent. It's the beauty that Jesus not only came just as the scriptures said, but he will return just as the scriptures have said. Jesus is coming back. This is the fourth Sunday of Advent. This is my final opportunity to rah-rah you guys for the Christmas season, and I intend to do it. As you can tell, I'm well caffeinated this morning. The arrival of Jesus has been our focus. It's been, it's been in the very, the very focal point of our sight the last few weeks. But not only the arrival of Jesus in the sense of him coming and being born into a manger in Bethlehem that we celebrated the Christmas season, BJ and I have often intentionally sought to bring our collective gaze to the return of Christ, the second advent, because we're in this season of the in-between, but we long for that coming of Jesus. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this of the season of advent. I love some of his quotes during the advent season. He said, advent creates people, new people. We too are supposed to become new people in advent. Look up, you whose gaze is fixed on this earth, who are spellbound by the little events and changes on the face of the earth. Look up to these words, you who have turned away from heaven disappointed. Look up, you whose eyes are heavy with tears and who are heavy and who are crying over the fact that the earth has gracelessly torn us away. Look up, you who burdened with guilt cannot lift your eyes. Look up, your redemption is drawing near. Something different from what you see daily will happen. Just be aware be watchful. Wait just another short moment. Wait and something quite new will break over you. God will come. God is coming. And there's no power on this earth. There's no power that exists in the universe that can stop. Nothing can stop him. This morning, church, I want us to look up and remember that our redemption draws near. That our time here is, as scripture says, as a breath. That you breathe out on one of these cold mornings and just dissipates. The man's existence is like grass, as it says in the book of James, that one day we spring up and the next day we wither and we're gone. You guys, our time here is short. Look up. Your redemption draws near. Our Savior has come. He's coming again. We need to celebrate, celebrate Advent this year in a way like we've never celebrated it before. Not because we're learning some new truth, but because we are closer this year than we were last year. We are closer right now than we have ever been in our lives. That's exciting. Our wonderful counselor, our mighty God, our eternal father, our prince of peace is coming. He has not abandoned us. He's very near to us. Let's pray as we begin this final uh, message, focusing on Jesus, who is our Prince of Peace from Isaiah 9-6. Lord, we ask for your words to come up off the page. We ask, Lord, to have an understanding like we have never understood before, and not just so that we can be filled with knowledge. Lord, we want to understand relationally how impactful and overwhelming it is that the king of kings came to this earth died on our behalf rose again in victory and is returning again soon lord help us to embrace the gospel excite us with the truth lord as those words were read earlier rejoice always 
Lord, we are to rejoice even in the darkest of times. We are to sing in the cells, even though we're shackled, just as Paul and Silas did, because we recognize that our God is sovereign and on the throne, and we worship you. We recognize and we worship who you are. Lord, humbly we ask that you would minister to us because we know and we believe you love us. Lord, we know that you are here present with us. And so, Holy Spirit, would you speak to us? Would you capture our attention? Lord, would we hear things from you, from your word? God, that will change us. Lord, that will cleanse us again. Cleanse us from our unrighteousness as we confess that we've fallen short. There is beauty. God, there is such beauty in repentance. So we confess our sin to you. We confess that we are not worthy, but we are made worthy by the blood of the lamb. Jesus, we celebrate you this morning and we thank you and we love you. Teach us from your word, we ask in your name. Amen. Taking that focus look over the last three Sundays, the titles given to the Messiah in Isaiah chapter nine in verse six, we were given four titles. Now we'll focus on the final title, which is Jesus, our Prince of Peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Remember that there's an already not yet aspect to these titles, and we see what he's done, and there's still more that Christ has yet to do. There's still more that he will do. The key for us is not just to recognize that God has done these things in Christ Jesus and that he will come again and do these things. The key for us, church, is how he's working here and now in the in-between. A lot of times it's easy for us to look back and recognize what he's done and to look forward and say, well, he is going to do these things, which is what I just like you about just a second ago. But how often do we get disheartened with the in-between? With what's going on right now, with feeling empty now, with feeling broken now and dealing with this now. And I cannot think of a title that ministers to me more when I feel broken and messed up on the inside on a daily basis than remembering that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Isaiah chapter 9 verses 6 and 7. I'm going to read these together as we begin this. For a child will be born for us. A son will be given to us. And the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. By the way, when you think about the Lord of armies and his zeal, who's standing up against that? Who's going to stop that? Nobody. Nobody's going to stop the zeal of the Lord of armies. So here's like our primary thought here that I want us to, to, to consider. Jesus is the perfect representation of the heart and posture of the Father. And because of that, we recognize that he was given to us, bringing peace for our souls now and peace on earth in the future. The peace of Jesus is for us both now and it's a promise that he is going to bring peace in the future, which is what we long for. We shouldn't misunderstand when reading that Jesus is our Prince of Peace, that he's lower than God the Father in authority. He's not. 
He's not lower than God in authority. The Trinity are equal in authority and in power, but they are distinct from one another. And so Jesus is not lower in authority. Rather, when we read that he is a prince, we have to understand that Jesus, as a prince would be in this time, is a representative of the Father. He's a representative, as a prince would be, of a king. And so when we read that, we shouldn't think of it in terms of seniority, but rather a prince being that living representation or ambassador of the character and the attributes and the thoughts and the actions of the king. And this is a very biblical and theologically sound way to read this because we understand Jesus to be an extension of the Father to us. He's an extension of the heart of the king to the people. And so Jesus coming to us represents all of who God is to humanity in human form. That's why Jesus is so attractive to us, because it's everything that is God in in a human being sent to us with his message, his heart, his attitude, his convictions, and his character. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verses 6 through 7, Jesus told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And in verse 7, he says, if you know me, you will also know my Father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip's still confused, just like I would be, you know. A lot of times we get Peter a lot of trouble. Philip was confused in scripture here and there. And he's like, show us the Father then. And Jesus is like, Philip... He says this in John 14, verse 9, the one who has seen me has seen the Father. If you're looking at me, you're looking at the Father. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He's that representation in true, pure form of who God is. Because Jesus is God in human flesh, he's able to perfectly embody and represent the Father in human form. Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 through 10. This is where this gets really impactful for us. We can understand Jesus is the embodiment of God, right? He is God in human flesh. He's a perfect representative of the heart and the character of God. How about this? Colossians 2, 9 through 10. For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. Powerful stuff. Read the next verse. You have been filled by him who is the head over every ruler and authority. Not just that's who Jesus is. Church, if you're in Christ, that's who Jesus is. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Jesus in you is the fullness of God's nature within us. Does that sound like it's lacking in power, strength, authority, peace? All of that in us because of the work of Christ, the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. We have been filled by him. Jesus came not only as the Prince of Peace and the representation aspect, but to fill those who would receive him. Now, let's talk a little bit about what we're talking about. We think about Prince of Peace. He's the Prince of what? I just said it. What? Peace. Where does he dwell? Church, if you're, if you're in Christ, he dwells in you. Why are we at war within ourselves? Church, it brings us to this place. Why am I a mess inside? Because I don't know about you guys, but I still struggle. Are you still struggling? 
Are you still battling? Fighting against your flesh? Warring inside? Are you at perfect peace always? Probably not. In fact, most of you probably weren't on the way here because one, we have kids, two, there was ice on the roads. So like, you know, we, we have these aspects where like, I'm no, I don't feel very at peace right now. You guys, as a, as a Christian, I know I've been saved by Jesus. I know Jesus has saved me. I believe it from the top of my head to the bottom of my, my toes. His perfect sacrifice in my place, I know that his victory was complete. I believe it through and through. His sacrifice was complete. But my soul is still tempted by sin, isn't it? You can agree. You're like, well, I don't want to know if you are. We are all still tempted by sin. We are all still tempted in this world. I know the difference between right and wrong, but I still feel temptation to do what's wrong, even though I long to do at the very same moment what's right. I feel that longing to do what's right, but have you ever looked back and said, why did I choose wrong? Why is there this this war inside of me? Why am I not just completely satisfied and at peace with who Jesus has said that I am? Galatians 5.17, Paul explains it. He says, for the flesh desires what is against the spirit, and the spirit desires what's against the flesh. You literally have like an Esau and a Jacob inside of you. You know, just, just fighting with each other. Now, I'm not saying you have to get rid of them the same way, but you understand the point. These are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. Your flesh and your spirit are at war. There's literally a battle going on inside of us. But church, here's, here's the crazy part. Anyone who's been around me in a, in a pretty close proximity within the last 10 years knows how much I hate the picture of Satan and Jesus arm wrestling. There's chuckles in the room because I've talked about this with my classes so many times. You know, there's this picture that you see online of Satan and Jesus and they're arm wrestling. And they're both, by the way, very beefed out. And they're like, just like, oh, you're that is the most inaccurate thing. It drives me crazy. Because when Jesus died on the cross and rose again on the third day, he drove Satan's hand through that table and all the way into the ground. He's done. He's absolutely done. Satan is defeated. We fight against a defeated foe. That's why if we stand in Christ, we are victors in Jesus. Amen? He is defeated. He's done. He's awaiting sentencing. He's going away a long time. But you guys, we look at this sometimes as battle that goes on inside of us between our sin, between our, our flesh and our spirit. And we're like, I don't know who's going to win. You realize that this is not a foregone conclusion. If we rest in Christ, if we choose Jesus, we don't have to choose sin. You are not obligated, bound, or forced to choose sin. You no longer serve the law of sin and death, Paul says in the book of Romans. You don't serve that anymore. You belong to Christ. We don't have to choose wrongly. Jesus already won. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory. That fullness of God dwells inside of us. There is no lack in his strength if we rely on him. We're not enslaved to sin anymore. We've been liberated by Jesus to choose rightly, even when we are tempted to choose wrongly. The liberation from our sin, our addictions, our distress, our brokenness begins with the indwelling of our hearts by the Prince of Peace. It doesn't end there but it begins there and i'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute 
very much the Lord working in this side of the room because I have Philippians 4, 6 through 7 here. Don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The following verses, whatsoever things are true, good, up here, that, that comes next. You guys, don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Through prayer and petition, it's what we are calling the church to do because we honestly believe as a leadership team, if we are going to know the peace of Jesus in our hearts and see him at work in our community, this next year, as it has begun this year, we need to be a church that prays. We must be a church that is committed to prayer. We long for God to do a work in this community, but we need to come to him in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving and present these requests to God. We need to rely on his strength and his power to work through us in this community. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, Philippians 4, 7, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Do you notice that it's, it's his peace that's guarding you? It's his peace. Jesus, our Prince of Peace, guards our hearts, Christian. Christ guards our hearts. The battle against the flesh, it's going to rage on. He guards us from our flesh, our temptation, our sin. And if we're going to say that Christ isn't good enough to guard us from these things, we're crazy. Because he is powerful enough. He is sovereign. He is all powerful. He can do this. The battle against the flesh, it's going to rage. We begin with receiving the Prince of Peace in our hearts. That's where we start. And for the day-to-day grind of living in a manner worthy of our calling, as Paul calls us to in Ephesians 4 verse 1, he's given us not only himself, He's given us his word. He's given us a robust prayer life, the opportunity to access him at any time. And he's given us each other as an extension of peace to guard those hearts. God has given us the body, one another. Do you realize that you are an integral part of God's protection plan for each other? That we're supposed to be involved in each other's lives, ministering to one another because we weren't meant to walk alone. And so many people fall to addictions and brokenness and sin, and they need others to walk alongside them. They need discipleship. We need this from one another. We can't just, well, it's just the Lord and me. I don't need anyone else. Then why did he call you to be a part of a body? He has called you to be a part of a body, to be connected, to be interconnected. We must be connected to each other to the point of being one, having unity. Church, we are a body. We are not disjointed members. We're called and empowered by God to come alongside each other as an extension of his peace. Have you ever been encouraged by a friend in prayer? Has someone ever come up alongside you and slapped you in the back and said, listen, I know you've had a rough time, but I love you and I'm walking with you. If you haven't experienced that, you can line up up here after service and I will do that for you. Because I absolutely 100% am walking with you guys. If you have needs, we are going to walk with each other through this. And here's the thing. It's not a matter of like, well, I just don't have needs right now. Yes, you do. In fact, if you say you don't, your biggest problem is denial. 
We all have things that we need to walk with each other through. We need the body. We need each other. We need encouragement. Paul says this in Galatians 6, 6 verses 1 through 2. Brothers and sisters, if someone's overtaken in any wrongdoing, I don't know about you guys, I have a lot of wrongdoing in my life. Any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, that doesn't mean perfect, it means spiritual, restore such a person, notice this, with a gentle spirit. With a gentle spirit, come alongside each other. Why? Because it's his peace extending from us to each other. Come alongside each other. And it says, watch out for yourselves. Don't be tempted. Don't get drawn into the sin, but come alongside one another and walk with each other. Carry one another's burdens in this way. You will fulfill the law of Christ. Some people have wrestled with this. Scholars have wrestled. What's this law of Christ that he speaks of? I think it's really clear. It's John 13, 34. Love one another as I have loved you. That's the law of Christ. Remember, Jesus said, I give you a new commandment. We talked about the golden rule back in the Sermon on the Mount. You know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Jesus goes even further in John 13, 34. He says, tell you what, uh, you guys, disciples, those of you who love me and, and follow me. He says, um, love each other the way that I've loved you. It would be a lot easier if he said, love each other equally. Right? Can I just base this off of how much, you know, Christian loves me? Because that, that might work a little bit better for me. But Jesus commanded me. Sorry, you know I love you. Jesus commanded me to love Christian the way Jesus has loved me. Does that sound like I can do that on my own? No way. I can't do that on my own. I need Christ at work in me. I have to be filled with his fullness. We need to walk alongside each other, bearing burdens. For some of us, that is a 10-year and counting journey. Ha! And I laugh because it's like, sucks to be you. Your wagon's been hitched to mine for a decade, and it's probably going to be longer. Do you know what's crazy and powerful about this? The reason I say 10 years is because that's just been the most recent group of, of young men that God has bound me to. I started teaching a, a, a Bible class at a Christian school about 10 years ago. I met a group of guys. Many of them are here in this church. I met a group of young guys. We started spending every morning going through the scriptures and talking about the Lord and, and strengthening each other in our walks. And what do you know? We all became friends. Not just teacher-student. We became friends, which means that we would play sports and cheer. We get injured together. We go on trips together. We leave the country together. We travel on here together. And when one of us is hurting, what do you know? We sit and we weep together. We have sobbed and spent many tears because of the brokenness that's going on in each other's lives. That shouldn't be something that's unique. That should be the standard of Christian living, that we do life together that we go through things together, that we not only rejoice together, but as scripture says, we mourn with those who mourn and we weep when we're sad. That's an okay thing. You guys, discipleship is not a 12-week course. Discipleship is a lifetime commitment to your brothers and sisters in the Lord. Discipleship is a calling from the moment you get saved to not only have someone who walks with you, but that you would walk with them. 
for as long as your paths are synced up. And you know what? Because of technology, we can stay connected with people all over the world. I'm being discipled by a pastor in Nairobi right now. He prays for me. He checks in on me. He's way more faithful than I am. Sends me scripture every week. I've been to his home. He's never been to mine. Maybe someday. But he looks after me. And I need that. We need that. It's not just exclusive to people who aren't pastors. I need accountability. Why do you think I'm so thrilled that we have a four-church fellowship? Because I get three other pastors who have an in-depth look at my life. They can call me on things. They help bear my burdens. They're an extension of the peace of Christ into my life. Our redemption from the sinful flesh is near. It's not far away. But we don't have to wait until then to have peace in our hearts. We don't have to wait until then to have peace in our lives. God has given it to us by his indwelling spirit saving us through Christ and filling us with the Holy Spirit, giving us his word, giving us prayer and giving us each other. He has given us the resources and the tools and the people to have peace, to be a people who are at peace. Jesus is the perfect representation of the heart and posture of the Father. He was given to us bringing peace for our souls now and peace on earth in the future. I included in this morning's study as we talk about Jesus, as we talk about him being a prince and being an extension, a representation of the Father, and, and as we talk about peace, which if you guys are familiar with Hebrew, you probably already guessed, it's shalom. It's the shalom of God. Look at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7, because this is the part of the picture that looks forward. The dominion will be vast. Its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of all armies will accomplish this. I see this as a not yet, but coming soon. I see the physical reign of Christ coming soon. I see Jesus sitting on that throne that was promised to him soon. Because God made promises to David that we have not seen fulfilled yet, that I believe will be fulfilled in Jesus when he returns. The physical reign of Christ, where he himself will have the government of the world placed on his capable shoulders. Boy, isn't that a longing that we have? How disappointed are when we look at the leaders of this world? Do you want to know why you're disappointed? It's not because they're not doing everything that you want. Christian, we're disappointed because they're not Jesus. They're not the king. I'm not going to be satisfied until it's the king. I will always be disappointed. But I'm not going to be satisfied until it's Christ. I want Jesus to rule and reign. His reign of justice and righteousness that we long for, that all creation, as Scripture speaks of, is groaning for, it's coming. Stand up, lift up your heads. Your redemption is near. Peace on earth will come with the reign of Christ. There's some great passages at the end of Revelation that are super encouraging about that. What it's going to look like in the end. God's dwelling after he's finished all things. God's dwelling is going to be with man. He's going to dwell with us. Looks an awful lot like the Garden of Eden. 
a new heavens, a new earth. God's dwelling with man, no sin. Do you ever think about what an amazing picture that would be? To be in a beautiful place with no sin, no shame, no brokenness, and to hear God walking through the garden looking for you. Just like Adam, although Adam was scared to death because, you know, he had just sinned. Church, don't grow weary in the fight. The king is coming soon. Paul spoke to the church in in Corinth in this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. He said, finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Boy, that's been our word this morning, hasn't it? I didn't even mean for that to happen. 2 Corinthians 13, 11. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Become mature. I'm still working on that one. Be encouraged. Be of the same mind. Be at peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. The God of love and peace will be with you. Church, that's what we long for. We long for the maturity of the body. We long for encouragement. We want to be unified. Be of the same mind. Do you realize how powerful a ministry is? How powerful a church can be when the body is of the same mind of Jesus? They're unified and they're mobilized together. When they're not bickering over little things, but they come together and say, we just want to do what Christ has put us here to do. When we just work together. I love doing work days. I love having work days with the church when everyone comes together and there's like, okay, we need this, this, and this done. And I'm looking around there like so many of us have like worked together, like gotten dirty together. And it's so fun because it's amazing to see what can happen when people come together and you're not working by yourself. It is so light and easy to work alongside others who are like-minded, just willing to serve and do what's necessary. Church, we need to be of the same mind And that is not our own mind. We need to be of the mind of Jesus. We need to follow his leadership in his direction. And the God of love and peace will be with you. The encouragement, church, that I want to give to us this morning is that we come to the manger this Christmas and that we worship The child, the child who was born, who is our wonderful counselor, mighty God, the son who is eternal father and prince of peace, that we would rejoice in Jesus who laid aside none of his deity, but all of his dignity and humbly came as a baby to us. He didn't lay aside his deity. He laid aside his dignity and allowed himself to be laid in an animal feeding trough. We should aim to be as humble as that, as lowly as that, because if the king of kings came in that way, I should be somewhere in the straw on the ground. I should be at his feet. Do you ever think about how difficult it is to be humble enough You ever thought about how much humility Christ showed and how I fall short of his level of humility on a regular basis? I think far too highly of myself than I ought to. I think way too much of my ability than I should. Because if God was willing to be laid in a filthy place and be worshipped by some of the smelliest, gnarliest shepherds who were not 
the top of society. They were lowly. They were sort of outcasts. They were gross. And those were the ones who came and brought him worship. Think about what my expectations, what our expectations of life are. Are we loving like God? Are we filled with his peace? Are we willing to be made low as he humbled himself? Lord, transform us to look like you. I want to close with one more quote from Pastor Bonhoeffer. Would you close your eyes with me and I'll have the worship team come up. I'm going to read this over us. Let's just bow our heads and close our eyes and consider these words. Try and concentrate on the meaning and then we'll pray. Who among us will celebrate Christmas correctly? Whoever finally lays down all power, all honor, all reputation, all vanity, all arrogance, all individualism besides the manger. Whoever remains lowly and lets God alone be high. Whoever looks at the child in the manger and sees the glory of God precisely in his lowliness. Lord, you taught us by example that the road for those who desire to bring glory to your name is the road of lowliness. It's the road of humility. It's the road of weakness. Lord, those shouldn't be things that we see with a negative, um, a negative perspective. Lord, those are things that we should see as characteristics and attributes of the King of Kings, of the mighty God, the wonderful Counselor, the Eternal Father, the Prince of Peace. Jesus, would you bring us in this time to a place of recognition of who you are and how much you love us? Would you... Jesus, be honored as we kneel, Lord, before the manger, as we worship you in the way that you came and recognize that it was so significant that a king, that God Almighty would be born. We celebrate you this Advent. We thank you for your your humility. We thank you for your sovereignty. We thank you that you return as the king. And Lord, we just um, thank you for the opportunity to worship you. In the next few moments, Lord, as we sing, as we reflect, I just ask that you stir us to worship, Lord, in sincerity. We ask it in Jesus' name.